Ephesians 5.18, he says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. The Spirit for life depends upon human cooperation with God. That the Spirit for life is dependent upon the believer, not upon God. It means an adjustment of my life and your life to the will of God. There must be the recognition of Jesus Christ as Lord and Master. I'm talking about a life lived on a high spiritual plane where, where God enjoys fellowship with you and you enjoy fellowship with him. You see, I'm getting right down to this question of a consistent spiritual life, not an up and down experience, not up today and down tomorrow, but a consistent, steady spiritual life, whatever the circumstances of life may be, Whatever the trials and sorrows and pain and adversity and misunderstandings that may come into our lives, joys and blessings, the whole thing together, there's that steady, steady recognition that Jesus Christ is not only my Savior, but Lord and Master. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right from the beginning of this lesson, Dr. Mitchell shares with us four things with regards to the real meaning of being consistently filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the sixth lesson on being filled by the Holy Spirit in his ministry for the Christian. And Dr. Mitchell briefly overviews the responsibilities of God in the ministry of the Holy Spirit and then the responsibility of the believer, which is to be filled with the Spirit. And now, Dr. Mitchell brings to our attention the truth of what it means for Jesus Christ to be Lord of one's life. And he states the difference between Jesus as Lord as to his position before God and Jesus as Lord and Master in a personal relationship with the Christian. So let's join Dr. Mitchell here on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast in speaking of being filled with the Holy Spirit with Jesus Christ as Lord. Thank you. As we continue our studies together on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer, I would like to make very, very clear to you of what it really, really means to be Spirit-filled. As we've been saying, it means to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. It means an abandonment to God. It means that Christ is the very center of your affection. It means the enjoyment of divine life. Let the Lord control you. He not only lives in you, but let him control you. It, it, it 
means to walk under the Spirit's control. It means to walk in fellowship with God and His will. That means His purpose becomes our purpose. The abundance of, of life of abiding in Christ. It means an endowment of power. I want to keep this thing in your mind because the early church, as it went out, had power to witness, to preach, to sacrifice, to suffer men might know Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. It made no difference what the world thought or what the religious world did. They weren't going to seek to copy anyone or to imitate anybody. They were so in love with the Savior. Their great yearning was that men might know what Jesus Christ, God's Son, had done for men and women. What a holy, righteous God in infinite love, can do for sinners like you and me. And don't you think that we need that today when one thinks of the, of the millions out of Christ, as we see the growing corruption today, the lawlessness. Uh, even our young people today who are possibly criticized more than they ought to be, but it's because they were, they're going without an anchor, without a rudder. They don't seem to have much purpose in life. What can you offer them? They become disillusioned with a great many things in life. And they're looking for something instead of looking for someone. And God sent that one, Jesus Christ, his son. And he is the only one who can really, really satisfy your heart. You know, God has made us that way. He's made us so that we will never, never, never be satisfied without Jesus Christ not only being our Savior, but being our Lord. That's why I say the Spirit-filled life is a life of joy, of blessing, the life of usefulness. It means an endowment of power. And how wonderful, wonderful it is to know that the early church and right on down through the centuries God has had men and women in every station of life who knew something of a walk with God, of a love that is beyond the understanding of men. They walked with God. They enjoyed his presence. And as I said before, the great yearning of the heart of God is that he wants your fellowship and my fellowship. This is why he redeemed us. This is why he saved us and cleansed us made us partakers of the divine nature that we might enjoy to the full intimate fellowship with himself. Now, I've been saying to you that when one is walking in fellowship with God, they are spirit-filled. When one abides in Christ, and by the way, to abide, a word which the Apostle John uses so much in the gospel as well as in the epistle, means to obey and as we obey his word and are submissive to his will, we're abiding. We become fruit bearers. We become channels for the display of the character of God. We become his messengers. We become his vehicles to bring good news from God to men. Now, having said that, and having also repeated, and I'm going to repeat it again, that the spirit-filled life is dependent upon the believer not upon God. 
to be born of the Spirit and indwelt by the Spirit and sealed by the Spirit and baptized by the Spirit, that is fully dependent upon God. But the filling of the, of the Spirit of God is dependent upon you and me. Now, there are conditions laid down in the Word of God concerning being Spirit-filled. The Spirit-filled life depends upon human cooperation with God. It means an adjustment of my life and your life to the will of God. So the first thing I want to say about the condition is there must be the recognition of Jesus Christ as Lord and Master. And I'm not talking about a one experience here or another experience there. I'm talking about a life lived on a high spiritual plane where where God enjoys fellowship with you and you enjoy fellowship with him. So you can be able to say with David of old in the 27th Psalm, one thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple so that when God says, David, seek ye my face, my heart's going to respond, thy face, Lord, will I seek. So there comes a time when we recognize not only Jesus Christ as our Savior, but as also as our Lord and Master. Now, listen, there are some people who teach that you must recognize him as Lord before you're saved. Now, the verse used for that is in Romans 10 and 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But now that's the recognition of his position. He's Lord, like you have it, for example, in uh, Acts chapter 2, when Peter said to the Jews of his day, This Jesus, whom you put on a cross, God raised from the dead and exalted to his own right hand, to be Lord and Christ. Or as you have it in the fifth chapter, to be, to be the prince of, of life. He exalted him to his own right hand. As you have it in Hebrews, four times he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We recognize his position, for example, in Philippians 2. God hath given him a name that's above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue in heaven, in earth, and hell shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the recognition of his position, that he's Lord over all. He's omnipotent. He's Lord. But I'm dealing here with something entirely different. I'm talking now about a personal relationship, not so much his position in his exalted position as Lord and Christ, as the preeminent one. I'm talking about what place does he have in your life and my life. There is no question in my mind there are people who are Christians, real born-again Christians, who do not recognize the Lordship of Christ in their lives. And I'm going to use a word or two in there regarding him as our master. Now, when I use that word master, I'm using it in a very, very special tense, in a very special sense, pardon me. 
For example, in the Bible, in the New Testament, our Lord Jesus Christ is called certain names. For example, he was called Rabbi. You take your four Gospels, the word Rabbi means teacher, sir. Sometimes he's called Didaskalos. I'm giving you these. This word Didaskalos is the same as Rabbi. It's the relationship between a teacher and a student. And Luke is the one who also calls him master in the sense of being a commander. For example, in Luke chapter 5, it's only used, it's only used five times, six times in the book of Luke, where, where Luke calls him epistata, which means, which means captain. For example, in that fifth chapter of Luke, the Lord Jesus said to Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And, Jesus, and Peter says, Master, Captain, Commander, we have fished all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'm recognizing you as the captain of the boat, and your word is law. Now, Peter speaks of that in his epistle, but here you have it in Luke's gospel. And then he's called Curios. This is the word, gen the word generally used in the New Testament for Lord, like we have in Romans 10 and 9, which I spoke of a moment ago. This word Lord, used in a general sense. In fact, sometimes the word Sir is used in there. The same word is translated Sir, but it means a position, the master, in the sense of being exalted to the throne of God to be Lord in Christ. But there's another word that I want to especially mention. Sometimes our Lord is called despota. Now, this is the one that means the relationship between a master and a slave. You take the word for slave as the word doulos. And you know, a slave has no time of his own, no possessions of his own, no, he has nothing of his own. He belongs to his master. He's possessed by his master. For example, Paul calls God his master. Rather remarkable that it's used five or six times in the New Testament. In fact, the only time the disciples ever used it was in Acts chapter 4, in the first opposition to the gospel, when they returned to the, after being threatened, they went back to their own company, had a prayer meeting, and they said, the Sparta, thou Lord, the one who was over all. In Luke's gospel chapter 2, Verses 25 to 32, you have the story of Simeon in the temple. You remember, uh, he was a man who was taught by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. And then he said, Now, Lord, let thou, lettest now thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. You will notice in this passage that, in fact, it's the only verse that I remember where both words are used, despota, master, and doulos, a slave. What Simeon really said was, Master, release your bond slave according to your word. By the way, uh, death doesn't seem to be very bad there, does it? You should, I, I'm, I don't want to be held down here any longer. I've seen the Lord's Christ. My joy is filled full. The, the, the doulos, the slave, has seen his master what you have. And you have it, of course, in 2 Timothy 2.21. 
where the Apostle Paul says, in a house there are vessels to honor and there are vessels to dishonor. If a man purge himself from these, that is, from the vessels of dishonor, he shall be a vessel meet for the master's use. Again, you have this word, despota, meaning master. Uh, by the way, there's a, uh, we, we take the English word despot comes from this same word. Despot, that is one who is absolute in authority. Sometimes we use it in a very poor way, as if a despot has got to be a tyrant. But not so, not so. We ought to be vessels meet fitted for the master's use. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, as the souls under the altar say, Lord, how long wilt thou not avenge our blood upon the earth? Lord, how long? The word there is despota, the one who was absolute in authority. Now, in the book of Jude, verse 4, I read about the ungodly leaders. The ecclesiastical leaders of the last days will deny Jesus Christ, the only despota, the only master. They deny the only master, even our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's used one further place, and you put this in brackets if you're taking notes, in Second Peter chapter 2, the first verse, where we read, There were false prophets among the people. There shall be false teachers among you who shall bring in damnable heresies, denying even the Lord that bought them. The word there, Lord, is the same word, despota. What I'm trying to get to you is a special place where Jesus Christ comes into an individual's life, into a believer's life, where he takes his rightful place as master. I know that this word master has been tossed around a great deal in some uh, certain portions of literature, where they deny even the deity of Christ, but they talk about the master, the master. I'm not talking about in that connection. I'm talking about one who is absolute in authority. And if he is absolute in authority, that demands of me absolute obedience. If I were to ask you the question, do you believe that Jesus Christ is absolute in authority? You would say, of course he is. He's supreme. He's preeminent. And that demands of you, it demands of me absolute obedience. You see, I'm getting right down to this question of a consistent spiritual life. Not an up-and-down experience, not up today and down tomorrow, but a consistent, steady spiritual life, whatever the circumstances of life may be, whatever the trials and sorrows and pain and adversity and misunderstandings that may come into our lives, joys and blessings, the whole thing together, there's that steady steady recognition that Jesus Christ is not only my Savior, but Lord and Master. Oh, that, and I'm speaking to Mitchell when I'm saying this, my friend, not only to you, but to me. If ever there was a time in the history of the Christian church when we Christians needed to get down to business with God and give him his rightful place, it's today. Not only He's my Savior. And that's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. But friend, what place does he have in your affection? What place does he have in your will? 
What place does he have in your life? You remember Corinthians 6 says, Don't you know that your body is this temple of the Holy Spirit which you have of God and you're not your own? You have been bought with a price? Or you have in Acts 20, 28, where Paul says to the Ephesian elders, Take heed to the church of Christ, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He bought you. When you tell me you are redeemed, and you're saying redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, do you realize what that word redeemed means? It means that he bought you for himself. He's paid the ransom. We belong to God. Spirit, soul, body. But he's left us on the earth, and he wants the Spirit of God who indwells us to so mold and shape our lives and so find us usable, not only available, but usable, wherever we are, whatever we do. See, friend, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I mean. When you talk to me about a spirit for life, I want to get onto the basics. I don't want a life that today I'm high up on the mountaintop and tomorrow I'm right down in the, in the gutter or down in the valley or one day I'm full of joy and the next day I suppose my, I live as if my life has come to an end. No, no, no. I want to have a, a steady, steady life in God where it's just as easy and just as natural for us to talk with our Father, to have fellowship with him, to walk in his will as it is to eat your three meals a day or to breathe the very air you breathe. Where when you go to bed at night, your heart is in love with the Savior. When you get up in the morning, you're still in love with him. And whatever the circumstance of the day may be, you recognize that he is your, absolutely he's your master. And you want to please him. Just like the Lord said when he was a boy, 12 years of age, don't you wish ye not, I must be about my father's business. I do always the things that please him. Friend, this, this is a spiritual filled life. As Paul could say in Galatians 5.25, if by the Spirit you live, then by the Spirit walk. Every believer, remember, is indwelt by the Spirit of God. Your body, even if it's a frail one, a sickly one, is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Think of the marvelous thing that's taken place, that he should come to live in you, in me. And why don't we yield to him and let him live out his life through us? But Mr. Mitchell, I'm in business, and I've got a big family of youngsters here, and they drive me crazy sometimes. Yes, I know, and your husband doesn't help you very much, does he? And you can give all the... We can rationalize our lives and miss the wonderful thing that God has for us. Oh, I just plead with your heart today. Give Jesus Christ his rightful place in your life. Friend, this is real living. It's God living out his life through you and through me. And may you have that joy today, just today. Live today to glorify God. Never mind tomorrow. Never mind yesterday. Live today. With him as the object of your heart's affection and devotion. And the Lord bless you.
out from heaven's palaces, splendor filled and bright, came the King, and he came to bring to the world new life and light. What grace is this that brought my Savior down, that made him leave his glorious throne and crown? The one who made the earth, the sky, and the sea, who put the stars in every galaxy. What condescension, oh, how can it be? What shame he suffered, oh, what agony. And then the death he died for sinners crucified. What grace is this? What grace is this? Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. The Unchanging Word is dependent on the support of our listeners. You can write us at The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Life begins at Calvary.